Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, once again we come before you and thank you for the word of your grace. Thank you for electing love that chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Thank you for regenerating grace that opened our blind eyes and softened our hard hearts and unstopped our deaf ears to bless us to be able to see the kingdom to hear the words of the Lord and even to taste of thy graciousness we realize and know that in us that is in our flesh dwells no good thing And if it were not for your grace and mercy, there would be no salvation. Help us to really appreciate that in the depths of our souls. Help us to experience the richness the beauty, the fullness of these truths and all of the truths that are found that reside in you and are expressed in thy holy scriptures in such a way that We are compelled to live more soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Wean us away from the perishing things of this world and bless us to walk in the light as Christ is in the light and the blood of your darling Son continually cleanse us from all sin. Bless us to realize that it is the little foxes that spoils the vine and that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Keep us by the irresistible power of your Holy Spirit as we travel in this low ground of sin and sorrow. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We come back to Galatians chapter 5. We are currently looking at this section of the scriptures in verses uh, 9 through 12. And I will read those verses as we come back and take up where we left off last Lord's Day. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, 
whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. We had begun looking at this verse 9 last Lord's Day afternoon about the dangers of a little leaven leavening the whole lump. As we said then that circumcision seemed to be a very small thing, but the Paul pointed out that if one was looking to circumcision, then they were indebted to keep the whole law. One part of trying to gain righteousness with God through the works of the flesh requires one to, as we said, keep the whole law to do everything in which we know that they could not do. And we pointed out that leaven here that we're talking about doctrine. Doctrine. And that uh, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. You ladies know that in cooking when you put yeast in something it doesn't take a whole bag to uh, create uh, the leaven that is desired. Just a little Sometimes just a little pinch uh, is all that is required. And so uh, this leaven is very, very effective. And we want to look at some things that uh, causes uh, some look at some leaven that causes issue <coughs> issues. First Corinthians chapter five. We're reminded when Paul wrote to the congregation at Corinth with regard to the man that was sleeping with his father's wife, evidently his stepfather, or his step, yeah, his stepmother. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, and not only. Was this a great sin? Uh, Paul said that even the Gentiles didn't do anything that bad. He said in the first verse of First Corinthians 5, he said that such fornication was not even named among the Gentiles. In other words, this congregation was doing or, or allowing something to take place that was worse than the world. But not only that, as we saw in verse 2, or as we see in verse 2, the congregation was bragging about it. They were puffed up. They had... Uh, evidently taken their Christian liberty to the point of saying, look what we can do. If we're, if we're saved by the blood of Christ, then it doesn't matter what we do, then we're still going to be with God in glory. Well, that's contrary to Scripture. Because if one is truly uh, regenerated by the grace of God, his will has been changed in such a way that he will uh, not walk in such a way or if he is walking in such a way and discipline is administered to him, he will repent, which we believe is, is the case ultimately here. But notice what Paul says in dropping down to verse 6. 
He says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, even as ye are unleavened. For, you, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. <clears throat> in other words, if this sin was not checked in the congregation, that pretty soon the whole congregation would be following suit. And as we have seen in our lifetime, more and more people that profess to be Christians are living more and more like the world because there is no discipline within the congregations. Congregational discipline for the most part, has been thrown out the window. And even where congregational discipline is being administered, those that are disciplined, for the most part, uh, blame the congregation for their sins. We have had to administer discipline here. And there have been people that we uh, put up with in their sins for over a year. And then after we disciplined, uh, the complaint was made that we just didn't have any, uh, didn't show any love. And didn't give them any room for trying to work out their problems. Well, that's contrary to Everything the scriptures teach. And I don't want to go off into the whole thing of congregational discipline, but the point is, people want to make excuses for their sins. Instead of just owning up and say, like David did when Nathan said, Thou art the man, David said, Then I deserve to die. Which he did. But David said, No. God has taken away your sin and you shall not die, but the sword will never leave your house. But David admitted, he said, I have sinned. And in Psalm 51, which uh, is quite apropos to the situation, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He realized that he had sinned against God and, and so on. But we see this idea of, of leaven, leavening the whole lump. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verses 16 and 17. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. In other words, Paul is warning Timothy here that when that you don't there are some things you don't do. In, in this case, he's talking about just arguing about things to no profit, vain babblings and uh, in involving oneself in argumentation with such people whose words are nothing but canker anyway. You know what a canker is? It's a very, very painful sore. And he said, you don't bother with that. In other words, we don't go off into the world and dialogue with it. You don't have to sit down with somebody that uh, is an adulterer 
and try to talk through it to see whether their form of adultery is all right or not. Or any other sin. Whether it be lying, fornication, all kinds of fornication, sodomy, murdering of infants. You don't have to sit down and uh, discuss this matter to see whether a baby in the womb is a human being or not. God's Word declares that it is. And you say, well, the world says, let the world say whatever they want to say. They're wrong. Well, who are you to say they're wrong? Not me. God said they're wrong. And I don't have time to go into all of the Scriptures on that. But just, in other words, if you start in trying to look at sin, whether it be just a little small sin, and dialogue with somebody and say, well, maybe, you know, that, 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 that's not as bad as such and such. Well, it's still a little fox that spoils the vine. It's, a little, it's one of those little foxes that spoils the vine. Even a speck of dust in the eye is quite, quite painful. It's quite painful. The eye is one of the most sensitive parts of the body. And I'm telling you, a, a speck that can get in there that you can't even see uh, really hurts, does it not? And as James said, and as we've seen here in Galatians, that if you violate one point of the law, you've broken the whole law. There's a lot of a lot of things that are really small that can do a great deal of damage. If you don't think so, uh, plant a garden and don't take care and get rid of the cutworms. Next thing you know, all of your garden is cut down. <laughs> worms that eat the plants off at the ground very tenderly. Termite is a very small thing. But if you leave them alone, eventually the house will come falling down on top of you. Ticks are very small animals, but they can cause a lot of damage and even lead to death. In other words, nature teaches us that there's a lot of things that are small and things that are an abomination to the Lord are to be dis, uh, discarded. Look in Proverbs chapter 6, for example. Proverbs chapter 6. You probably know what I'm going to read. Starting in verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to Him. In other words, not only just the six, but all seven of them are an abomination to God and God hates them. God hates these things. A proud look. I'm here to declare that pride is always condemned in the Scriptures. 
And it's one of the things that people are all time saying to their children, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And you can see that we live in a society that's full of pride. You say, well, that's just a very small thing. Well, it's not a small thing. But I can assure you that the world thinks you have gone off the deep end if you make an issue out of pride. I've had and have people that are very close to me. They don't even want me to uh, mention the fact that pride is wrong around them or their children. In fact, they don't even want me to have anything to do with them or their family. That's just one of the reasons. You say, well, that's just a small thing. It's not a small thing. And it will come back to haunt them eventually. Hands that shed innocent blood. And if there's nothing any more innocent than a babe in the womb, I don't know what is. And you're shedding their blood. A heart and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now God abominates not only the act, but He abominates the thought of the act. A heart that devises wicked imagination. He didn't say a heart that does wicked imaginations. They're just devising it. Most likely they go ahead and do it. And if I tell you the whole entertainment world is nothing but wickedness. The whole entertainment world is nothing but wickedness. You would be hard pressed to find a show of any sort that doesn't use some filthy language in it at one time or another. Most shows today, while they may bleep out what's called the F word, they don't bleep out GD. And they ought to bleep out GD more than the other one. But they're all filthy. And society has become so hardened to it, they don't think anything about it. A few years ago, I uh, saw where one professed Christian said, you know, they didn't mind a movie that has a few, a few of those words in it. Well, how can a Christian mind that? I mean, how can a Christian do anything but mind it? What I should have said. You say, well, that's real life. Hell is real life too. But a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I can remember when Hollywood's own rules would not allow the the profanity or the curse word uh, of hell to be used. Well, that's nothing compared to, to, to today. A false witness that speaketh lies. God abominates a liar. Oh, well, it was just a little white lie. It's still a lie, and God abominates it. 
that soweth discord among the brethren. Look at, let's just stop and look at the religion that's called Christianity. Look how much discord there is among it. In fact, we can just look at our own denomination. And you find preachers after preachers after preachers after preachers going around sowing discord. Sowing discord. They think that they have to rule what other congregations do. They're not content with just trying to take care of their own congregation. I heard of a situation several years ago where a couple of ministers went to see another minister to try to talk about peace. And the older minister said, yes, peace is important, but I've got an appointment today that uh, I can't talk about this today. Uh, Maybe we can talk about it some other time. Guess what his appointment was? He was going fishing with his deacon. Fishing was more important than peace among congregations. God abominates those that sow discord among the brethren. Now there's going to be discord sometimes, particularly when the truth is preached and those that hate the truth. But when people, well, I'll just leave it as, as, as it is. What I'm trying to show is a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And the world can understand this in their own in their own way. Look at Esther chapter one. Esther chapter one. Now if we had the time we would read the whole book, the whole chapter but we don't have time to read all of that. But you know the story that Ahasuerus was having a party. And the party lasted six months. It was 180 days. That's six months. You see the 180 days in verse 4. And there was people from India to Egypt. 127 provinces. There were delegates from all of these places there at Persia in the palace. And during this time, the king wanted to put the queen on display. And while the king, by the way, while he was having his feast, the queen was having her feast also. In verse 9 it says, Also Vastai the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So she was having her party while he was having his party. And the king said to bring in Vastai. Verse 12, we'll break into the context. But the queen Vastai refused to come at the king's commandment by his 
chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men, notice he wasn't talking to the riffraff, he was talking to wise men, which knew the times. I wish we had some wise men in government that knew the times today. For so was the king's manner forward, uh, manner toward all that new law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Admathah, Tarshish, Miresh, Marshina, and Mimukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. In other words, this was his executive committee. And he asked the executive committee, What shall we do unto the queen Vestai according to law, because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? And Mimukin answered before the king and the princes, Vastai the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. In other words, Vastai's action, if unchecked, would influence the world from India to Egypt. That's a lot of countries. 127 provinces. And we live in a nation today where presidents and presidents' wives say that what they do in private has nothing to do with them being in office. Well, because of fornicating presidents and some other wives in the same genre, we see that our nation is nothing but a nation of fornication. It does have something to do with it. It does influence it. And there's biographies and books of all kinds written about past presidents and their mistresses. And even Hollywood actors and actresses have their tabloids. And I'm not talking about the 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 ones that make up I'm not talking about tabloids that make up stories. But they have all of their mistresses. See, most folks don't know that uh, Bob Hope had his own separate bedroom because he had all of his many, many, many mistresses. And yet he's proclaimed as being a great man to go around to the armies and all of that and so on and so forth. But my point is, these things destroy a nation. Many of the Hollywood actors been involved in sodomy. Many of our leaders in government for many, many years have been involved in sodomy and child pornography. Some of the so-called conservatives
And one of these wise men said, What Vashti has done will affect not only you. Well, let's just read on. Verse 17, For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, and it shall be reported. Well, let's read on. The king of Hazarus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard the deeds of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. And you know the rest of the story. We won't, we won't take time to read the rest of it. But the point is that the that rank and authority is important. You say, well, that was a wicked king and he didn't have the right attitude and well, whether he had the right or wrong attitude, Scripture doesn't tell us. But I, I, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. where many, 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 many modern day preachers and many, many, many modern day Bible scholars disregard what I'm going to read. This congregation knows it quite well. But it has to do with the authority of men and women. Now we live in a society where most homes are run by the women. Most men have been emasculated and are feminine, very weak. I'm going to take the time to look at this somewhat for people out there in the internet because most likely they won't hear this very often, if at all. Several years ago, when uh, I was pastoring another congregation in another city, <clears throat> I spent quite a bit of time in my office at night, and people would drive by and see the light on, and I was uh, had a habit of eating uh, a water burger. <laughs> Some people don't know what a Whataburger is. Some people do. But anyway, there was a Whataburger right down the street. And a lot of times I'd go down there and, and get, a water, get a sandwich for lunch. And a young man that was a cook in there started dropping in when he got off from work around 11 o'clock, midnight. Light would still be on. And he'd come in, sit and talk with me. And... Of course, we'd be talking about the Bible. And he was raised in a, 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 a denomination, a Christian denomination. But anyway, one night we were talking and I was talking about the warfare of a Christian in Romans chapter 7. He said, that answers a lot of questions for me. He said, I've never heard that before in my life. Now here was a young man that was raised to go to to go to to worship services and hear preaching and went to Sunday schools and was taught and so on. The most common uh, thing, the warfare of a child of God between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new man and so on. He never he didn't even know about it. <clears throat> 
You say, well, and I was surprised. I thought everybody knew about that. So I say that to say this, though 1 Corinthians 11 is here, uh, there's hardly any preaching on it. Also back during that time, there was a president of a Bible college there in Memphis. That Bible college I don't think is there anymore. But anyway, the president of the Bible college, uh, he would uh, teach classes at night. The general public could come and a lot of times I would go and listen to the classes. But anyway, uh, Dr. Crichton was his name. And one of his classes one time was teaching through 1 Corinthians. And if we got to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he was a Presbyterian, by the way. But And I don't know if that adds or detracts anything from what it... Uh, but anyway, just... Uh, anyway, he was talking, preaching, teaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he said, this means what it says. It means the women are to have long hair, they're to have their heads covered, but he said, we can't keep them out of the pulpit. So it's not likely we're going to get them to cover their heads. But what I'm saying is, this was back in the 70s. Here was a, a Greek scholar, well-known Greek scholar, admitted what this verse taught, but that it was impossible to get the women to practice it. So let's read. Be ye followers of me, even as I, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Now, whatever you want to think about 1 Corinthians eleven. Paul calls this an ordinance or something that is to be kept. I would have you to I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. There's the principle. There's the foundation premise. God, the Father, was the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of man. And man is the head of woman. That's, that's the premise, that's the axiom that God has laid down. Today, man has no right to be over a woman. That's what's being taught. But that's not all that's being taught. Today it's got so far as that parents don't even have the right to tell their children what to do. The state does, but the parents don't. We see that more and more states are teaching Things that parents don't want taught to their children. And the state is saying, parents, you don't have anything to do with it. It's none of your business what we teach. That's the reason parents should never turn their education over to the government. God said, fathers, you bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not the state. It's not even the it's not even the denomination or the congregation responsibility. By the way, several years ago, I was teaching in a Christian school, and one of the parents said, "Well, we'll be glad when." They knew that I was a pretty 
a strict disciplinarian. In fact, I told the, the parents I wouldn't teach if I couldn't uh, discipline the children as they ought to be. And one of the parents said, I'd be glad when so-and-so's old enough that you teach them and get them straightened out. I said, that's not my job. If you haven't gotten them straightened out, don't look to me to do it. But the children thankfully respected me. They knew that when I was preaching that they wouldn't get up out of their seats and go to the bathroom because I had taught them in school that they could control themselves and go to the bathroom at the appointed time. Now if there's an emergency, we, we allowed for that. But the children themselves told me that, that they knew that uh, when I was up preaching, that I know if they went up, got up and went to the bathroom. <laughs> and they knew that I would talk to them. In other words, the children respected me enough that they gave me the respect and the honor as their teacher. We had a lot of loving times. And I told the children, this is kind of a side note, I know, but I told the children, I said, I'm not interested in your grades. I said, I'm interested in your discipline. If you learn to discipline yourself, no matter what grades you have, then you'll make it right well in life. And what you don't learn here, you'll, know, you'll be disciplined enough to know how to figure it out when you get on your own. Though, just about every child in the school on the California Achievement Test averaged two or three grades beyond their grade level and was usually around Stay 9, 8, and Stay 9, 9, which was the highest Stay 9 scores on the test. In other words, they were well-educated. Because they were disciplined. They were disciplined. And I, I believe that children should obey the teacher. And while I'm chasing this rabbit, when I quit teaching that school and they got a, a, a hired a young lady to come in and teach the school, uh, I asked the teacher if I could come into the school. I, th I think it was the first day, but anyway, it was pretty soon. Uh, I asked if I could come in and talk to the class, and she said, well, sure. And I told the students, I said, so-and-so is your teacher now. She won't teach like I do because she's not me. I said, however she wants to teach you, don't ever talk to her, and I don't want to hear you say, well, Brother Jimmy did it this way. I said, she's the teacher now. She's the authority, and you're to obey her. So it wasn't just a personal thing. It was, a, it was a, an authority from the Word of God. I also knew that when I was teaching, when a parent did not agree with me on a discipline or on something of that nature, I did not go beyond the parent because I was under their authority. And this congregation knows that I don't... Uh, that I'm not the authority in this congregation. The congregation is the authority. I'm to rule, I'm to lead, I'm to guide. <clears throat> As we'll see a little bit later on, 
when we get to chapter 6 of Galatians. <clears throat> but this society and most congregations and religions do not understand biblical authority. But here it's set up in verse 3. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. You say, well, so you wouldn't allow a woman to be your boss. I don't think a woman should be my boss. But I've had many women that were my boss. I had to live in the world. <laughs> I had to have a job. I had to provide for my family. But we're talking about what God's standard is and why our society is the way that it is because of the violation of the standard and what I'm talking about seems to be a very insignificant thing. Particularly with women having their heads covered in worship. This seems to be... What's so important about that? Well, it has to do with authority. Now, some women may put a head covering on and be full of pride and still be out from under the authority. In other words, just because someone does something doesn't mean that it's right unless it's done with the right spirit. So we have to be mindful of that. I'm not ignorant of the fact of that fact. But in verse four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonoreth his head. Now there is some that believe that the covering here is the hair. But let's look and see how ridiculous that is. If the covering is the hair, that is the covering that Paul is talking about, then we read verse 4 and say, Every man praying or prophesying Having hair on his head dishonoreth his head. That doesn't make sense, does it? If that were the case, I'd have to shave my head. That's the reason this country for years and years and years when they entered into not only the house of God, but often in their own homes, the men took their hats off. But I see worship services going on on the internet now with men sitting in the in there with their caps on. You know why they do that? They've never been taught. They've never been taught. It's not the men's fault. They don't know. But they're dishonoring Christ. Verse 5 Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. That's like saying any woman that doesn't have any hair on her head, she dishonors her head. For that were even all one as if she were shaven. Well, naturally she'd be shaven if she didn't have any hair on her head. But it's saying that a woman doesn't have a head covering on. It's like a woman with a shaved head. And we see more and more women, not only with their hair cut off and no hair on their head, sometimes not even hair on their head, uh, half a uh, quarter inch thick uh, uh, length I mean 
We even see women with their heads shaven today. Why, why is the society that away? Unless you're not a godly society. For if the woman be not covered, let her be shorn. That'd be like saying, if a woman doesn't have any hair on her head, let her be shorn. Well, how can she cut off what's not there? But if you be ashamed for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For indeed ought not for in for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. <clears throat> All you have to do is go to Genesis and see that God created Eve for Adam. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Have the authority on her head because angels are watching. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. In other words, men don't get so haughty and high-minded. If it were not for women, you wouldn't be here. <clears throat> Judging yourselves, is it... Uh, Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if the woman have long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given her for a covering. It's, oh, well, the hair is for the covering. No, that word covering is a different Greek word than all the other words for covering in that verse. I mean, in, in that section. The other word for covering that we read about before means something down on the head. This word means something wrapped around the head. In other words, he's saying that the long hair on a woman is given to her to, for a covering to recognize her as a woman, and the short hair on the man is to recognize him as a male. Today, we don't hardly see any difference. Sometimes you don't even, you're talking to somebody and you don't even know whether they're a man or a woman. But that's where society has gotten. Because this has not been taught. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. Well, I've got more to say about this, about authority. <clears throat> But the time is up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know that it is not popular today, nor has it ever been popular with the world. In this section of Scripture that we have read in 1 Corinthians, as you well know, is not the customs of the times because no society in history, no society in history is documented with practicing what we have just read. This is God's teaching. And yet it seems to be so insignificant. But we can see in our own society of open rebellion not only with males and females and children and just people in general. Because the Proper authority has not been maintained. 
Help us never to be haughty nor high-minded in any of this. But bless us never to compromise truth. In Jesus' name, amen.